Well, good morning, church. It's good to be here with you this morning. Um, So I I started thinking about the church this week, as preachers tend to do, and and I started to think about uh, the church with a question in mind. If is that music still playing? Is it no no no? Or is it just me? Is it, is it playing? It is in my head? Totally in my head. It, I, I, have, I have to be honest. I know it's communion time when that music turns on. You know? It's, it's just like... Anyway. Why is it that second service is always my ADD moment? You know? Like I'm like, squirrel, squirrel. So I started to think about the church. That's where we were, okay? I started to think about the church. And I started to think about the church in this way. If the church were a dish that you had at your supper table, what would it be? I mean, if the church were, were something that you would gather around, what would we be? I mean, I, I thought of a lot of different things, but for some reason, uh, there was one dish that kept coming to my mind. Meatloaf. The church is meatloaf. Now, I don't know how you do your meatloaf, but I remember growing up when my mom would make meatloaf, uh, she would have a bowl and, and she would dump the meat and then everything else in, right? I mean, you guys, you guys know how to make meatloaf? I mean, like there were eggs that went in and like onions and stuff. I mean, you could throw anything in a meatloaf. And then uh, the, my favorite part as a kid growing up was we would take our hands and we would put them in the bowl and we'd begin to mush them together. Right? You with me on this? I mean, like Rick is really excited about this. He's like, meatloaf for supper. I love it. I mean, this is a picture of the church. We're meatloaf. You may never hear that ever again. But we, we are a very different sort of people. The church is kind of a harvest of many talents. I mean, there's all sorts of different people right here in Whiting Christian Church. Uh, there are at least four generations represented in our church. And if you look and study each generation, each one of those generations uh, thinks a little bit differently about how to go about doing life. And here they are, all in one place, uh, serving the Lord together. And it's not just, it's not just the generations. I swear I'm hearing that music. Is it just me? You guys, we've got to turn the music off. I swear I hear it. Am I the only one that's hearing it? I, I promise. I'm hearing it. I'm, I'm, you have a schizophrenic preacher up here, and it's really... Like, give me a crying baby any day, but don't, don't, don't do that. <laughs> There's all these differences in the church, and we're all dumped right there. I mean, we have uh, people in our church, and, and they're good at different things. Uh, we have some people that are more extroverts. Extroverts are people uh, that gain energy from being with other people. And you know who they are because they will introduce themselves to you. Right? And we have those people in our church. 
And, and we have some people in our church that are not that way at all. And in fact, on a day like today, we have some people in our church uh, that they would love nothing better than to go into a room by themselves with a book, uh, cuddle up, and just read. Uh, that would be glorious for them. And, and we have people that are great with their voice. Uh, we have people that have this skill and ability uh, to be able to sing well. And uh, we have other people. And they couldn't carry a tune in a bucket. And it's okay. But they're giving it to Jesus. And we have people in our church and they're really good with their hands. I mean, they love working with their hands and, 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 and figuring stuff out. And, and then we have people that you wouldn't want them anywhere near anything that you need fixing. We have technical people. And then we have people that if they were to come near your computer, you might as well just buy another one. I mean, are you hearing me? We're, we're just so different. We're this mishmash of meatloaf. And what God is asking of us, what God desires for Whiting Christian Church is that we would become a meatloaf that is nourishing the world with the message of the Kingdom of God. That's what He's asking from us. And in fact, God's Word this morning is going to push us in this, this area of becoming a harvest of talents in the church so that it will lead to a harvest of people from the world. That when God's people gather like this and they actually begin to give themselves and their gifting and their talents and their skills and their abilities, and when they begin to actually give that away, uh, when they allow that to be harvested by God, uh, that there will be people in the world who come to find and follow Jesus. Now this idea of a world that is different being mushed together it's not original with me. Actually, it's original with Jesus. I didn't come up with this idea of a, of a bunch of people who are very different kind of being dumped into one bucket, uh, harvesting their talent so that the world can come to be harvested. I wasn't the one that came up with an idea that when you have people who are willing to give skill and their talent and their ability, uh, that it might lead to a world who are ripe and ready to hear the message of the kingdom of God. I didn't come up with that, but Jesus did. And in fact, this morning, I'm going to give you some context to understand that message. I'm going to walk you through a particular gospel, and in that gospel, he he organizes his material in a specific way, and we have to kind of hold our ears closely and listen uh, so that we understand the message that Jesus is sending. And once we understand the message, then we can understand the messenger. Then we can understand the worker and the laborer, the workforce that, that Jesus is wanting us to be. And then at the last, we're not going to go very far, but we're going to we're just going to peer just a little bit into how all this happens and perhaps what God might be asking us to pray for. So if you're willing to, to journey with me in that, if you're willing to, to look into all of that, that with me this morning, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew's the opening gospel. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Then John. John's a little different than the other three, but... We'll talk about that some other time, okay? 
Matthew, Matthew chapter 9. Some of you are going to your apps. Some of you are going into your, your Bibles. Love it. Matthew chapter 9. Jesus is going to walk us through a context in which He is preaching, teaching, and healing. And as He preaches and teaches and heals, uh, we're going to notice that there are crowds that follow Jesus. There are crowds that Jesus preaches to. And He has a particular message in mind. He's proclaiming uh, something in particular. And that when He heals, He's healing for a reason uh, so that everybody else will come and understand His message. At the end of all that, you and I will get a really clear idea of what our task is. What is it that our responsibility is as we we look at this message from Jesus. But we have to look at the context. We have to really look at how Matthew organizes it. So go into Matthew chapter 9 and look with me at verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Preaching, teaching, and healing. There it is. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They had no leader. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Here's Jesus, and he's preaching, and he's teaching, and he's healing. And he's preaching, the content of his preaching is the kingdom of God. Uh, the message of the kingdom of God is simply this. What does the world look like if Jesus were in charge? That's the kingdom. It's the world being made right because of Jesus. That's the kingdom. And when Jesus came preaching, He came preaching, He came proclaiming, hey, this is the world made right. I'm going to turn everything upside down and I'm going to show you what the world looks like as if I were in charge. And here is Jesus preaching and teaching and healing and He's gathering around a crowd of people that want to hear because He sees them and they need a leader. Now I want you to keep that in mind because I want you to also go back a couple of chapters Go back to Matthew chapter 4, and it's crazy. We're going to see the very same thing. We're going to see Jesus, and He's preaching, and He's teaching, and He's healing. And there's a crowd, and He's giving them the message about the kingdom. Check this out. Look at verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And news spread about Him all over Syria, and people brought to Him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and He healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan all followed Him. Uh, do you see it? It's this crazy bookend. Here is Jesus, and He's doing the same thing that we saw Him doing in chapter 9. He is preaching, He's teaching, and He's healing. Right. And He follows it up. Chapter 4 is followed by chapter 5. Did you know that? 
And chapters 5 through 7 are a sermon that Jesus preaches, and the main content of the Sermon on the Mount, we call it, that's Matthew chapters 5 through 7. The main content of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus saying, hey, everybody, I want you to know what the essence and the nature of the kingdom of God really is. And so here is Jesus, He's preaching, He's teaching, and He's healing, all for the purpose that other people might come to know the rightness of the kingdom of God. He's saying this is what the world looks like when God is in charge, and He preaches them the message of the good news. Now, there's bookends. In chapter 4, we find that Matthew organizes the context of his Gospel and he says Jesus is preaching and He's teaching and He's healing. Would you agree with that? And in chapter 9, uh, we see Jesus again and Matthew organizes his material as such and the, almost the same exact words are used in almost the same exact order and he says Jesus was preaching and He was teaching and He was healing and the message was the kingdom. Would you agree with that? And when you see stuff like this in the Gospel, when you see like stuff like this in your Bible, when you are reading through uh, your Bible and you come across things like this, you need to stop and go, hmm, what's God doing with this? When you notice these bookends, when you notice pillars like this that stand up and they're the same message twice, you begin to look in the pages in between and you hold your Bible close to your ear so that you can try and hear what Jesus is trying to say. And here's what Jesus is trying to say. When you listen real close to what the Bible is saying in between these two bookends, it's that there's a task and there are workers that are desperately needed and their message is one of the kingdom of God. You see, after the Sermon on the Mount, after uh, Matthew chapter 5 through 7, Jesus comes down the mountain uh, at the end of chapter 7 into chapter 8. And what is he found doing in chapters 8 and 9? Well, there's story after story in chapter 8 and chapter 9, and Jesus is preaching and teaching and healing. Shocker! But there's a shift. At the end of chapter 9, Jesus makes a significant shift. And it's not with the message. The message stays the same. The proclamation stays the same. In fact, the tasks of preaching and teaching and healing, they stay the same. But Jesus asks an implicit question. When he begins at the end of chapter 9 to talk about those who are workers, to go into a harvest field, the implicit question that Jesus is asking is, who is going to go to the world with the kingdom message? You see, Jesus knows that his time is coming. And He has set the example uh, beginning in chapter 4. Uh, he preaches the Sermon on the Mount in 5-7. through seven. He, does it, he, he goes about preaching and teaching and healing in chapters 8 and 9. And by the time He gets to chapter, the end of chapter 9, before we get into chapter 10, uh, He is asking the question, well, who will be the next ones who give the message to the kingdom? 
When I'm gone, when there's not me anymore, uh, when Jesus is no longer on stage, uh, when He is sitting down, who is it that's going to take the message of the Kingdom of God forward? That's what Jesus is asking. Now the initial answer to that comes in chapter 10. The initial answer comes in chapter 10 as Jesus gives over His authority to preach and to teach and to heal to the disciples. Listen, Jesus calls His twelve, verse 1 in chapter 10, He calls the twelve disciples to Him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And He talks about who these disciples are. We'll talk more about that next week. And then in verse 5, these twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Catch this. Don't go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go... Preach! And what are they supposed to preach? Preach the kingdom of heaven has come near. And heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons freely who you have received, freely give. He is saying, hey, as you have seen me preach and teach and heal, guess what? Now it's your job. Who is it that's supposed to go with this message of the kingdom? Now it's your turn. It's your turn, he's telling the disciples. You now get to go and preach your own Sermon on the Mount. Initially, Jesus' question about who's going to go with the kingdom message, that's answered with the disciples. And they go. And they preach and they teach and they heal. But whose job is it now? Throughout the Bible, it's the church. It's that magic meatloaf that has to become a harvest of talents. We become a harvest of talents in the church that will lead to a harvest of, ta- a harvest of people from the world. That's what Jesus is saying. And so you and I now have been given authority from up above to go and do what Jesus has been doing. Giving the kingdom message to the world. So now the question we have to ask is not what our task is, but who's eligible? Who do these people look like? What do they look like when we look at them? It's interesting when Jesus is giving us answers to these sorts of questions, that oftentimes when He gives us a a look, a picture of who these workers are, who these laborers are that will go out into a harvest field ready to be picked, He gives us a picture of sometimes what those workers are not. And in this context, between chapter 4 and chapter 9, Jesus talks about these workers, these followers, servants, who would come and follow Him. Go back with me, would you, into chapter 8? In chapter 8, verse 20, verse 18, excuse me. Jesus begins to talk about those workers. He begins to talk about the laborers, the followers, the servants who would come after. Uh, What is it that these followers look like? He begins to tell us in verse 18, when Jesus saw the crowd around Him, He gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. 
And a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay His head. Jesus comes and there's this guy and He comes up and He says, Hey, I'll go anywhere you want. And Jesus goes, I need to make sure that your motives are in the right direction. I need to make sure that you have healthy and not unhealthy motives for wanting to follow Me. And Jesus makes clear, hey, if you come to follow Me, uh, this does not mean that you get the penthouse suite every time we stop. This does not mean that you get to stay in the the five-star hotel and you get to have room service and sit in a big bathtub in the evenings. That's not what this means at all. And He's getting at the motive. Why is it that you want to follow Me? He's saying of those who would become workers. He's saying of those who would become servants and followers of Jesus. Your motives need to be right. Because if they're not, you're not a worker. Can you imagine a scenario where perhaps a young man has looked at a young woman and he thinks, I kind of like her. I want to get to know her. And so he decides, you know what? I I noticed that she goes to church on Sunday. So he says to himself, hmm, if I want to get close to her, I might have to go to church. So I'll, I'll impress her. My motive will be, I want to get closer to her, so I'll begin to go to church. And maybe he does. Maybe he begins to go to church. Maybe he begins to even do things uh, while he's there. But all the while, the motive in his heart is I just want to get closer to the girl. And Jesus says this, this sort of motive, this sort of motive is not for those who would be workers and laborers in the field. He said their motives have to be pure. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a world where maybe someone would come to church and maybe serve and maybe volunteer and be a part of something only so that they could be a part of someone else in the church? Maybe there's someone prominent in the church and someone else sees them and says, oh man, if I knew that person and if I could rub shoulders with them and other people could see me rubbing shoulders with that person, then they would help my bottom line. I could say, oh yeah, I know them. We're like this. We go to the same church. And the motive would be one that's unhealthy. Because it's all about me. And Jesus calls out the would-be follower and the would-be worker and says, hey, make sure that your motives for following are right. Make sure that if you're going to go and and be harvested by God and your talents and your abilities and your skill uh, to go out to harvest people who are ripe for the Gospel, ripe for the Kingdom of God, uh, make sure that your motives are in the right place. And maybe we get this message. And we're like, okay, yeah, motives, good, check. But it's this next one. This next one kind of causes us some harm, doesn't it? It's this next one that quite frankly, I'd probably trip over. Verse 20, 
Jesus replied, Foxes, okay, I've read that already. Verse 21. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Bury my father. But Jesus tells him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. This seems harsh, doesn't it? A guy wants to go back and bury his father? No, I did some looking into this. If you were a Jewish son, if you were a good Jewish son, there are two different options here. One of the options is that you were saying that your dad, your father, was near unto death. That he might live another year or two and that you needed to go and catch up. You needed to have that time with your dad to make sure uh, everything was good between you, that, that your relationship was square, that everything was ready for the estate, so that when dad finally did die, uh, when the father did pass away, uh, that everything was all settled, that he could hand over the estate to you, and you would have all the books in order, and that you would give him an honorable burial. That's one of the options here. Another option, as a, as a good Jewish son, a year after your father had passed away, uh, you could go back to where your father had died. Uh, they would have a, a kind of a ceremonial wrapping of the body, but once the body had decomposed, you would go back and you would actually organize the bones and you would uh, put them in a stone box. Uh, you would cover it up and you would take it into the family tomb and put it into a shelf there in the family tomb. And Jesus says, in either occasion, in either occasion, He says, follow Me. Let the dead bury their own dead. I think Jesus is raising an issue that many a people in our day and age understand. I wonder if Jesus is asking the question here of our family. Is your family a priority in your ministry or are they the priority? In other words, does your family have allegiance before me? When you look at your family, do they demand more loyalty than Jesus? And I have to be honest, as a parent, this question haunted me this week. I began to think of all the things that as parents we want to give our children, right? I mean, we often want to give our children the things that we didn't have or that we did in fact have, and we want to make sure they have too. And it often comes in the forms of events and activities. I want to make sure that they have football and basketball and volleyball. And baseball and soccer and vocal music and dance and clubs and recitals and games. And that was Monday. Right? And I think I hear Jesus in the background. A priority? Or the priority? Oh, surely our families need to have a priority, but they're not the priority. I wonder if Jesus is asking us as parents, as adults who desire to follow Jesus, that if we're to become a harvest of talents in the church that leads to a harvest of people from the world, I wonder if He's asking, 
Is your family a hurdle to be overcome to following me? Is your family and your loyalty and your allegiance to your family, is that, a, is that an obstacle that you have to overcome in order to be loyal first to me? And there seems to be an ongoing chorus of the kinds of workers that Jesus is asking for. If you didn't like these illustrations from Jesus, perhaps you'll like something else. Go into chapter 13. Jesus gives us a couple of parables and He begins to talk about uh, the sorts of workers that are kingdom-minded that He's talking about. Uh, Those that are ready for the task of taking uh, the kingdom message to the world. And He says in in chapter 13, He tells a story uh, about someone who finds a great treasure. Look at verse 44. He says, "...the kingdom of heaven..." It's like a treasure hidden in the field. And when a man finds it, he hid it again. And then in his joy goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Again, verse 45, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. And he looks for fine pearls. And when he finds one of great value, he goes away and he sells everything he has and he buys it. Do you hear that chorus coming through these stories? What does Jesus require of the worker? What does He require of the laborer, the workforce that would come and be ready to pronounce and preach and teach and heal? What is it uh, that we need to be ready for? I think Jesus is saying everything. Can you say that with me this morning? everything. You guys didn't do it any better than first service. Say it with me one more time. This time with a little more oomph. Everything. What does Jesus require of you? What is He asking you to give up? Everything. Everything. Are you willing to give it all up for the sake of saying, I'm ready to follow Jesus? And you know what's great? Whiting Christian Church, you have those kinds of people here. You have those kinds of people here. I I look over the ministries of Whiting Christian Church and I think, we have those everything kind of workers and those laborers who are going out and in different ways giving their own Sermon on the Mount. I, I look at the band now, I'm not a musical person. I know that the, uh, that the staff all give me a hard time about my, Mike's favorite hits, singing from the stage. You guys think that's funny, huh? Mm-hmm. I think of the band. They're phenomenal people, and sometimes, you know what, they're here late and they get up early, uh, not because they don't have other things to do, uh, but because they're saying internally, if not audibly to the Lord, I am willing to give everything. I am willing uh, to allow God to harvest the talent so that the world can know that there are people that have a message of the kingdom of God, a world set right, what the world looks like when it acts like God's in charge. I look at our slam kids 
Recently, I've had the opportunity on Wednesday, and, and, and these kids, they're all over the place, and they're no place at all, and, and I look at the people who are there on Wednesday, and they're volunteering their time, and it's not because they don't have anywhere else to go. It's not because they're like, you know what, on the, at the end of a long day, you know what I want to do? I want to go out, and I want to hang with 50 uh, uh, of my, my, my closest kid friends that are anywhere from kindergarten to sixth grade. That's what I really want to do at the end of the day. No. That's not what they're saying. But what they are willing to do is, you know what, I have an opportunity to go and give this. And, and the chorus of their life suggests uh, that they're answering Jesus' call and they're saying, I am willing to give everything. And you know what? Uh, sometimes Brenda will organize it so that the kids have an opportunity to do crazy things to the adult leaders and they let them do it. Some of you know what I'm talking about because some of you have been those people. If you have ever taken a whipped cream pie in the face, you know what I'm talking about. If you have ever had mud in your hair or in your face or slime dripping down, or you have had some kid come up and they just dump water all over you, or something else gross has happened to you, uh, you have said, Lord, I am willing to give everything, including my self-comfort of slime dripping down my face, uh, so that other people uh, might be blessed uh, by the opportunity to hear that you are still king. I'm willing to give everything. And it's happening on Wednesday night too. I began to look at the, at the encounter volunteers and those leaders. Did you know that we have people that are over 50 years old hanging out with junior and, and senior high? Did you know that? Did you know that we have people over 60 years old that are hanging out with junior and senior high? This is crazy to me. You're 50 and 60 years old, I don't know, but like you're hanging out late. I mean, when you're 50 and 60 years old, like 8.30 is late, okay? That was a joke. I'm glad you guys laughed. But like you've got other stuff that you can be doing, and what are you doing? You're here on Wednesday night. You're pouring into students. You're trying to say, you know what? I, I, I've lived a life a little more than they have lived, and if I have something to offer to that, I'm going to pour my life into that because I'm willing to give everything. When it happens in the food pantry, uh, the people that have been in charge of the food pantry over the years, they get calls at all hours of the day and night. And they're not just handing out food. They're sitting with people and they're coming in at different times of the day. And they're on the front lines. And it's not because it's always comfortable or convenient. It's because they have said to Jesus, I am willing to give everything. Make me a worker. Make me part of the meatloaf. And it happens with those uh, who in Celebrate Recovery are willing to come on Saturday mornings. I mean, they're willing to get up on Saturday morning to be ready so that other people can come and hear something about Jesus. Why? Because they're willing to give everything. And if I've missed some of you, I'm sorry, but you, you hear what I'm saying. There's a chorus of people already here that you know, that you rub shoulders with, that are saying, make me a worker. I'm willing to give everything. I'm ready to preach and to teach and to heal Jesus. 
harvest my gifting, harvest my ability, harvest my talent. So there might be a harvest of people from the world. How are we to do that? How exactly do we get to the harvesting the world part? I mean, Jesus seems to be saying here that there are people out there and they are ripe and ready to hear the message of the kingdom. That's what it seems like he's saying. So, how do we get there? He says simply ask, pray. Look at the last words in chapter 9. Last verse in chapter 9, verse 38. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into His harvest field. Ask. This is the same Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. He's saying, hey, would you begin to pray that God would send workers, that He would send laborers, that He would send servants that are willing to give everything. It's my next to last Sunday at Whiting. And where there's, oh boy, there's part of me that just, when I begin to think about it, like tears just begin to stream down my face. But you know what my prayer has been? My prayer for Whiting Christian Church is that God would bring committed workers. And maybe more than anything else, can I be honest with you? My prayer has focused more than that. My focus has been, God, bring new leaders to Whiting Christian Church. Bring the leaders. Take those who have the ability and the skill and the know-how to have influence with people for the sake of the kingdom and bring leaders here. And you might be one listening to this going, oh, I have those abilities. I have those talents. I have those skills. I can lead people. And if that's you, then know you, you are exactly who I've been praying for. And my prayer, quite frankly, is a little more than that. I'm asking that God would lay the conviction on your heart and your mind in such a way that it is unmistakable. I've even gone beyond that. I've begun to pray. God, don't, them, don't let them live in peace until they respond with everything. That's what I'm praying for. That there would be workers ready to answer the call of Jesus and the authority of their life to give everything for Him. Church, we have an opportunity to be the best meatloaf the world has ever had. And we have the opportunity to nourish the world with what we have been given, and that is the kingdom of God. So let's go out and let's be harvested. Let's be a harvest of talents in the church so that we might harvest people from the world.
Let's pray. Gracious God, you're good. <laughs> I'm laughing, Lord, because you have allowed me to continue to, to open up the Word with these fine people. And Lord, we are praying. Lord, would you bring the workers for the harvest? We don't have to manufacture a harvest. We don't, we don't have to, uh, to try and create something that isn't there. Lord, You've said it's already there. Lord, would You bring the workers, and in particular, Lord, I pray that You would bring the leaders. And in their ability, and in their skill, and in the talents, and in the gifting that You have given, I pray that they would not sleep. I pray that they would not rest until they respond fully and finally to You with everything. Lord, help us to be a great meatloaf. We love you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.